everybody. I am Adam Hoffberg, and this is the Rocky Mountain Myrex Short Takes on Suicide Prevention Podcast. Today's episode is about an incredible resource for engaging the military community. And we're really excited to have two guests with us today, Dr. Kerry Rogers and Dr. Craig Bryan from the Psych Armor Institute. Just a brief introduction, and then I'll let them talk about themselves a little bit more. Dr. Rogers is the Education Director at Psych Armor. She is also a clinical professor of psychiatry at UC San Diego. In her past, she served many roles inside the VA and the Department of Defense, including working as a consultant, a trainer, rolling out various evidence-based therapies inside the VA. And Dr. Bryan is the Executive Director of the National Center for Veteran Studies at the University of Utah. Uh, We've had him on the podcast before. You may remember he's also a military suicide prevention researcher and a clinical psychologist, not to mention an Air Force veteran who previously deployed to Iraq. So welcome to you both. Hi, thanks for having us. Thank you so much, Adam. Absolutely. It's a pleasure to be here with you. And again, thanks for joining us. First, let's just start with our usual sort of introductions, a little bit about your backgrounds and how you both got involved with Psych Armor. Carrie, will you go ahead and start for us? Sure, I'd be happy to. Um, I am a clinical psychologist by training, and and as you said, I worked at the Department of Veterans Affairs for a really long time, longer than it ages me, I'm afraid, longer than I like to admit that I am old. But um, I spent a lot of my time there working with veterans with post-traumatic stress disorder and also training other clinicians to do that and to do that using evidence-based practices. About a year ago, I decided to make a career change and came to work for the Psych Armor Institute as the education director. Part of my um, goal in doing that was to begin to help disseminate some of the great information that we have about veterans and military members and some of the unique challenges and strengths that they have to the population in general. Great. And I'm also a clinical psychologist. Um, and as you mentioned before, I served in the military in the past, and I'm currently at the National Center for Veteran Studies at the University of Utah. Most of our research focuses on suicide prevention um, and developing treatments and interventions for addressing suicidal thoughts and suicidal behaviors among military personnel and veterans. Uh, I, my history with Psych Armor actually uh, goes back, uh, I think, a couple years. Um, uh, the founder of uh, Psych Armor, Marjorie, and I were at a meeting uh, together at, uh, of all places, the uh, Oakley headquarters, a sunglass maker, uh, many years ago. And uh, that meeting was focused on uh, different strategies, different programs designed to help service members and veterans with physical as well as psychological injuries. And uh, when we met at the dinner that night at that uh, event, we were talking about our mutual interests and mutual work, and that was uh, when Marjorie first told me about uh, Psych Armor and her ideas for the organization and asked if uh, we would basically serve as a consultant and, a, and an advisor to the organization, especially in the area of suicide prevention. And I said, yes, that would be great. And so that's been my role with Psych Armor uh, since, uh, is kind of helping them to develop curriculum and information, focusing on suicide prevention and providing advice and providing support whenever I can. Excellent. Well, thank you both for uh, taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today. Um, as you mentioned, Psych Armor has a lot of trainings and curriculums online, and we're going to get into that a little bit more today. 
But first, Carrie, will you tell us a little bit more about Spike Armor, its history, and also um, a bit about the VA partnership that has been a big collaboration over the past year? I would be happy to do that, Adam. Um, Psych Armor is about three years old. We're a national nonprofit, and really what we do is provide free education and support for any American who is interested in engaging more effectively with the military community. It turns out in our population right now, only about 7% of the country has ever served in uniform. And what that means is that most Americans aren't really familiar with military life and military culture. What that results in is a real gap in understanding between veterans and military service members and the rest of the American population. And what we have found is that most Americans really want to support military veterans. They want to engage effectively with military veterans, but they don't really know how, and they don't know how to learn to do that. So Marjorie Morrison, the founder of Psych Armor, decided that that was going to be the mission of this organization, to provide free education to civilian Americans about military culture and some of the unique um, challenges and strengths that military members bring to the to the table. So that's what we do. Great, and I understand there's um, upwards of 130 courses at this time? We have over 130 courses live at this time. We are always working on new courses. We have another 20 that we're building right now. Um, they are all free. So anybody can go to our website, which is psycharmor.org, and take a, a training course for free. Excellent, and uh, we'll absolutely link to the main page as well as um, as we get into this specific training that we're going to talk about today called Helping Others Hold On. Um, before we jump into that, Carrie, can you tell us a little bit about the VA partnership with Psych Armor and sort of what that means for our veterans and, and the military community? Sure. The VA partnership has been something that we at Psych Armor are very proud of. We partnered with the VA about a year ago. We have a, a signed memorandum of agreement with the VA that allows us to work with the VA on all of our courses, all of the content for our courses, and disseminating that information to the public. And so we know that um, all of our subject matter experts are, in fact, that. They are experts. They're people who have worked with military veterans for a long time. Um, and the VA works with us to help us introduce us to those people. So many of our subject matter experts are working at the Department of Veterans Affairs, and so we get a lot of our content from them. What that means for um, our learners is that they can trust the information that we have. They can trust that it's been vetted, that it's high quality. Um, and so we're really proud of that, that memorandum of understanding. And again, I think a big part of that, too, is that we offer all of our education for free. So learners never, ever have to pay for any of the information that we have on our website. That's great. And so let's uh, turn now to this uh, course on suicide prevention. It's called Helping Others Hold On. And first of all, I was just taken by the title of it, so I, I love it. Um, Carrie, will you tell us a little bit about what this course is all about? Helping Others Hold On came about, oh, I don't know, Craig, we've been working on this course for a few months now. One of the reasons that we, we were really interested in building this course is because we are, um, our, 
courses are in schools at PsychArmor. We think of ourselves as kind of a publishing house for information, and so all of our courses are structured in schools. And we received an incredibly generous grant from the Bob Woodruff Foundation to fund a, a set of courses, training courses for people who volunteer with veterans. One of the things we kept hearing about was people who volunteer with veterans somehow are very worried about what if somebody's in a crisis or what if they're suicidal? I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And that that was translating into people not volunteering and not engaging with people and not being of assistance when they really wanted to be. So we reached out to Craig and asked him to work with us and the Bob Woodruff Foundation to build a course for volunteers that really addresses how do you talk to someone who might be thinking about suicide or who you're worried about? How do you engage with them and, and what do you say? And what do you do and, and how, do you, how do you reach out and help others hold on? Craig came up with the title of the course, and so I'm going to defer to him about where exactly that title came from. He can tell you the story behind that. But again, as I said, we, we worked really hard with Craig and the Bob Woodruff Foundation to make sure that we had this content available so that people who work with veterans in a volunteer capacity or, frankly, in any other capacity will have the information that they need if they feel like they're, they're talking to somebody who might be suicidal. Yeah, so, um, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead, Craig. So the, I guess the origins of the title, I, uh, to be perfectly honest, I don't know exactly uh, how we came up with the title, but uh, it really kind of uh, came out of my own personal experiences as a service member, uh, especially during my deployment in Iraq and working with uh, fellow service members who were not only suicidal but also struggling with uh, trauma reactions and acute stress reactions, you know, in, in some cases, you know, just a mere hours after uh, the trauma exposure had occurred. And uh, then after returning from Iraq, uh, you know, continuing to work with service members and veterans and recognizing that Suicide in many ways. We we often think about suicide as people choosing to die or choosing to kill themselves or you know some sort of a, a walking towards death, um, and that just didn't really fit with what I was seeing as a psychologist and what I was hearing from family members and friends as well as from service members and veterans who had struggled with suicidal thoughts themselves and. Uh, the the experience that many suicidal individuals were conveying was that they were really struggling. They were fighting. They were battling against whatever form of pain and suffering was that was affecting them. And they were doing their hardest to solve the problem, to get away from that situation, but just felt like they weren't succeeding. And this, in many ways, sort of a, an image of, you know, they're kind of like hanging on the edge of a cliff and their knuckles are whitened and they're just trying to hold on and to make it day by day. And in many cases, those who had attempted suicide often described the experience of, in, in, in many ways, of letting go, where they weren't choosing to die, but they had become so exhausted and worn out from life that they were just letting go. And so 
over the course of several years, uh, this idea of helping others hold on kind of came into my head, and it was when I was asked to do a presentation um, for some military officers who really kind of felt like we go through all these suicide prevention trainings, we you know, get lots of briefings and, you know, we get all this information about suicide, but here when someone's sitting face-to-face with us saying, I'm thinking about killing myself, these officers and senior enlisted were saying, we don't actually know what to do and we don't know what to say. And so we had started to develop some training curriculum for them. And that was, I titled that initial curriculum, Helping Others Hold On, and we received very positive feedback. Uh, from those military leaders saying it helped them to understand for the first time what was going on in the suicidal person's mind. And most importantly, they they kind of walked away feeling like, now I know what suicide prevention actually means. Um, maybe this whole sort of way of thinking about of avoiding death isn't as helpful as it is of helping people to live. And sometimes that's a very challenging very difficult um, experience for those who are suicidal. And so thinking of helping others hold on is something that fit very well within the military culture, because that's what we do as service members and veterans. We help each other out. We lift each other up. And that's a big part of suicide prevention. Yeah, that's really helpful. And I think sets the tone for sort of how the whole course feels and, and, and plays out. As Carrie mentioned in the beginning, these courses are designed to fill gaps and one of the gaps that was identified is how do folks, volunteers, other sort of lay people help others hold on? So let's jump on into a little bit more about the course. Craig, I understand you were the subject or are the subject matter expert for this course. You sort of narrate the various modules. And just to start off the course, there is this analogy of tipping the seesaw. And just as helping others hold on paints like a really good picture in my mind, this idea of tipping the seesaw around suicidality and overcoming ambivalence seems to really resonate with me. Can you talk us through that analogy? Yeah, so the sort of analogy of this kind of struggle between the desire to live and the desire to die is one that's, you know, kind of pervaded in the suicide prevention community for a few decades. Um, and the, the term that we often use as researchers is ambivalence, and the, the assumption being that people who are suicidal, yes, there is a part of them that wants to die, but oftentimes there's this competing desire to live, and uh, it, it's just that in my experience, many suicidal individuals kind of struggle in figuring out how to do that, how to live a life that's worth living. And so as they go through the day, they have, you know, and, and this is true for all of us, we have setbacks, but then we have accomplishments and achievements. And so all of us sort of have this back and forth, up and down sort of um, experience. And one of uh, the, the idea of this seesaw between life and death was really kind of crystallized. Uh, with a research study, actually, that we did several years ago where we looked in a sample of military personnel who were receiving treatment for suicide risk, this back-and-forth struggle between the desire to live and the desire to die. And what we found was that, as we expected, people kind of go up and they go down. Um, And they, in many ways, are sort of battling internally with uh, suicidal thoughts. And what really 
struck us in that paper was that it was the desire to live in particular that really fluctuated. Um, the desire to die kind of went up and down, but it was a, a kind of a more stable set, you know, feeling and urge. Uh, but this desire to live was much more fluid. It was uh, fluctuating much more rapidly and much more dramatically. And that observation in our research really has shaped a lot of our treatment development and intervention development as well. And we were able to show in some of our research that you can actually tip the balance. You can have a significant influence on a person's desire to live based on what we talk about, what we say to them, so on and so forth. And that really kind of came out as we were developing this curriculum in this notion of that seesaw of having highs and lows. And when we work with suicidal individuals, we really help them to understand that this is a part of life. Um, we will have ups and downs. And how do we sort of brace ourselves for that? And how do we prepare ourselves for ups and downs, which is an important part of keeping perspective and maintaining hope and optimism despite adversity? Absolutely. And I was really uh, struck by the fact that, you know, you took this sort of researchy psychological concept of ambivalence and turned it into something extremely accessible around the seesaw metaphor. And again, Thinking about who the intended audience is for this training, I, I think that was really well done. Well, I um, appreciate that, but yeah, I can't no. take all of the credit. Uh, that was uh, a lot of helping to flesh that idea out um, came from the psych armor curriculum developers as well. It was in the original sort of draft of the curriculum, the idea of the seesaw was there. And as I understand it, I had a, a slide where there was kind of sort of the seesaw ish type of image, and uh, the curriculum developers just really connected with that and really extended it and helped to really kind of flesh that out in, in much more detail to, to the point that it really kind of became sort of a cornerstone of the curriculum itself. to listeners. As I mentioned, Craig was on one of our previous podcasts talking about uh, fluid vulnerability theory, and I think some of what he's talking about today with the ebbing and flowing and ups and downs uh, is really relevant, so I encourage you all to go back and uh, give that a listen as well. And Craig, you already touched on this a little bit about how uh, military culture and the values within uh, the community sort of already uh, have rally around this idea of helping others hold on and helping others in general. Can you say more about that? Yeah. So, uh, you know, when when we talk about suicide prevention as a general concept, it's very common that we talk about things like social support as being protective or reducing risk. And, uh, you know, there's there's some research that supports that. And, you know, but we've we've really kind of looked beyond that and said, well, why? What what is it about this sort of vague idea of social support that is so important? And uh, so we actually worked on a study uh, several years ago trying to answer that question. And what we found was in the military, one of the most important aspects of social support 
for suicide prevention was so it's sometimes referred to as esteem support. And what this gets at is that social support actually kind of functions for all of us in different ways. There are different reasons why social support is helpful. So there's things like, you know, if you have, you, when we're upset, do we have someone, you know, to have like a shoulder to cry on, someone whom we can tell our secrets to? Um, there's also this notion of, you know, do we have tangible or material sources of support? So, you know, if my car's broken down, can someone give me a ride? Or if I'm feeling sick, do I have someone who can drive me to the hospital? Those sorts of things. Uh, but this esteem support, this is having access to people who who you look up to, who respect you, who value you, who give you a sense of purpose and meaning and pride. And our research was showing that this part of social support was really important in the military. And interestingly, when we had done similar research outside of the military, like with college students, we found that outside the military, there were different parts of social support that mattered the most. And in, in particular, in the non-military groups, it was belonging. It was you know, having people to hang out with and to socialize with. But in the military, it was all about feeling respected and valued and of feeling like you have other people to look up to and to contribute to a higher purpose. And so we've been able to kind of leverage that to really bring that to bear within uh, this curriculum and some of the other suicide prevention work that we do is how do we harness this sort of cultural value in the military of respect, dignity, purpose, meaning, and help volunteers to recognize that so that um, it's not just about hanging out with someone and playing games or watching movies. That's important, but it's also conveying to a service member or a veteran that you're important, that I care about you, and that I respect you and feel that you make important contributions to the world. I want to just jump into one of the other modules, which is on the topic of sleep and its relationship with your mental health and suicide and often this is a big topic sleep is something that is you know sleep issues are incredibly common among service members could you give us a sense of sort of the scope of this problem and the relationship with suicide yeah that's that's a good question um, there so sleep disturbance as a whole is very common um, in military personnel and veterans uh, the prevalence estimates vary but um, in general, if you look across different studies, on average, about one in three service members um, is struggling or reporting some kind of a sleep disturbance at any given time. So um, it's, it's actually quite common, and the rates of sleep problems have increased steadily over the past decade. There's a growing body of research very clearly indicating that sleep disturbance is related to suicide risk. Um, and we don't, to be honest, we don't fully understand why. Uh, there are a number of theories out there right now, but there's something about sleep we don't know is sleep causing suicide risk, or is it that when people are at increases for suicide, they tend to have problems with sleep? Um, we're not fully sure what the answer to that is, um, but we do have some emerging evidence suggesting that if we can help someone sleep better, you can actually reduce their suicide risk. 
so there was a study, for instance, published a few years ago. It was done in the VA showing that if you treated insomnia using a, a treatment called very cleverly named cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia <laughs> or CBTI, what they were able to show was that veterans who went through this insomnia treatment showed significant reductions in suicidal thoughts. And so there have been other studies uh, that are underway right now in the VA as well as in the Department of Defense, um, as well as in the civilian sector, looking at that and saying, could, could we, in essence, prevent suicide by doing something reasonably simple? The, the treatments for insomnia are actually pretty simple and straightforward. And so we, we actually included a lot of those tips and strategies in the Helping Others Hold On uh, module. I mean, they're, they're just so basic and fundamental that I found that most people, they're like, yeah, that makes sense, and almost anyone can do it, and it can have a very, very positive effect on a person's health. Great, and so sort of two follow-ups with that. Uh, one is, can you give us some of those uh, practical tips that you do provide in the module? And the other part is, so we know that sleep is a common, you know, sleep disturbances are common. Why is this a more acceptable way to approach uh, suicide prevention? So let me let me answer that second question first before providing the tips. Uh, we think the reason why it's more acceptable is, first, it, it's so common. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, something like one in three service members and veterans is struggling with insomnia. And this is certainly not an issue that's limited to military personnel and veterans. We see it's very common just within the population as a whole. And so, uh, so on, on the one hand, I think it's easy to talk about sleep because in sort of many ways, everyone has it, you know, or everyone has had problems sleeping at some point in their life. So it's very, very common. I think the, the second aspect of that is because it's so common, it's easy to talk about. Um, it's the, we don't have as much stigma about insomnia and sleep disturbance uh, in society as a whole, but particularly in the military. There's, you know, we're talking with fellow service members and veterans, we often kind of joked, especially when we were deployed, if you were sleeping well, then you were the crazy one. You know, it's like, what's, why, you know, nobody's getting any sleep. And it, it became sort of just this normal part of what many of us were experiencing. And so when you could, when you go to the doctor for sleep problems, that was generally seen as being no different from going for a headache or because you were, you know, throwing up and feeling sick. It was just a part of everyday health and well-being. And so uh, we've had a lot of success, you know, when we go out and sort of talk about, well, you know, do you want some help sleeping? Um, it's a little easier for service members and veterans to say yes, and that can sometimes get them in the door. Where once they're in the door, we might find out that there are other things going on, whether it's suicide risk or PTSD or depression or something like that. But we've found that if we talk about a lot of our treatments, even the suicide prevention treatments, as a way to improve sleep, that seems to be much, much more acceptable uh, to service members and veterans. So when we look at, well, what are these things that people can be doing? There, there are a couple of core principles that are really sort of founded on basic learning theory, the, the simple concepts of how we learn to do things, one of which is called conditioning. Um, so conditioning involves if we pair two things together. So if 
all of us here um, in our daily lives, we've all been conditioned to some extent, but let's say a certain event occurs. So we hear a noise, and then after that noise, we hear um, something or we see something that's very frightening or scary. And if that noise keeps occurring at the same time as that frightening or scary thing, eventually we will respond with fear or anxiety when we hear that noise, even if the scary thing doesn't happen anymore. That's just pure conditioning. The same process happens with our sleep. We can actually train ourselves and condition ourselves to sleep poorly. And likewise, the good news is we can train and condition ourselves to sleep better. And so some of the tips that we teach people uh, to improve their sleep is, you know, uh, don't go to bed until you're sleepy, um, which sounds very obvious, right? But what many of us have done, almost everyone probably is guilty of this, where you know we've been busy, we haven't get, gotten much sleep lately, and so we say, well, I'm going to go to bed early tonight. So it's uh, 7 o'clock p.m. I'm going to go ahead and go to bed so I can catch up. And then we just lay in bed for several hours because we're not actually sleepy. Well, by laying there in bed, we actually are training our brain to not sleep in bed. And in essence, we communicate to our brain, this is not where we sleep. This is where we lay awake and toss and turn. Another simple rule related to this is get out of bed if you're not asleep within about 15 minutes. So that, so that in essence, if I'm laying there, if I'm tossing and turning, if I'm thinking about the day's activities, maybe I'm worrying about what I have to do tomorrow, if I'm not asleep within about 15 minutes, time to get out of bed. Because if I just stay there in bed awake, again, all I'm doing is training my mind to say, well, bed equals worry time or bed equals not sleeping. And so these very simple strategies and rules, like I said, they're very obvious. Um, very few of us will actually implement them in our daily lives. And so we train ourselves to have sleep problems. And if we make these very simple changes, which are actually, they're, they're simple, but they're very hard to do. I mean, think about your, think of how many times you've laid awake in bed saying, any minute now I'm going to fall asleep. And you just say that over and over and over again. After an hour, you're still not asleep. It's very hard to use the rules, even though they are super simple to do. But once people actually make these changes and follow these very simple rules, they tend to see very dramatic improvements in their sleep, typically within a few weeks. Again, I encourage the listeners to go on and uh, take this course. You can see the sleep module and uh, learn more about some of these practical tips. Craig, moving on to uh, what we commonly talk about as warning signs or risk factors, part of this course is to help individuals identify someone in their life who may need support, who may be experiencing suicidal feelings. Could you just give us an overview of what are risk factors and warning signs, and what are some common ones that individuals can pick up on um, for someone in their life? Yeah, so um, we use these two terms interchangeably, uh, risk factors and warning signs, but they, they're actually different ideas. Risk factors are um, sort of like variables or problems or issues or things that are correlated with suicide. Um, warning signs, however, they're, they're also correlated with suicide, but the idea is that they emerge 
immediately before suicide occurs. So it's kind of like an alert system. Now, if, if kind of a corollary here, if we think of something like heart attacks, a risk factor for a heart attack might be smoking or obesity or diet, certain types of diet. Whereas a warning sign for a heart attack might be chest pains or um, sweating and numbness, uh, especially on the left side of the body. Um, where you know obesity and smoking and diet by themselves don't necessarily give us much information about a pro or when a person's going to have a heart attack, but if you start experiencing these warning signs like those chest pains and sweating, then that means probably you should call 911 or you should go to the emergency department right now. And so we've there's a lot of interest in these similar concepts with suicide. Um, unfortunately, scientifically, we don't yet have a very good finger on what are the most reliable indicators of short-term suicide risk, so our warning signs are a bit limited. But there's now kind of a, an explosion of research really trying to figure this out, and one of the better indicators that seem to have emerged is a person's thought process. Now, a thought process you can't observe, so in that sense it's not very helpful, but people will say what they're thinking, so they will verbalize a lot of their internal thoughts. So we, we talk about this notion of the coded language of suicide in this course, and it's something that I've talked about in other trainings as well, where people who are high risk for suicide tend to say things like, everyone would be better off without me, I mess everything up, um, I deserve to die. I can't take this anymore. Um, I'm incapable of solving this. I mess everything up. You know, it's these very harsh, negative, uh, self-deprecatory, self-hatred types of thoughts and statements. And critically, when people make statements like this, that is always an indicator that something isn't going well in their life. It might be that someone does not say the word suicide. So maybe they're not going to say, I'm thinking about killing myself or I want to kill myself. But they say these other things that research has shown is very, very specific to suicidal states. And so what we talk about here is don't wait for someone to say, I'm thinking about killing myself. If, if they're using this other coded language of suicide, that's the time to get involved. That's a time to help. That's a time to see, do they need additional help? Do they need referrals? Um, and that way, we don't make the mistake of waiting for the magic word that, in some cases, might actually not come. Yeah, hearing you talk about coded language really was a breakthrough for me in terms of I hadn't heard that word. I'd heard some of the examples you just used, but I didn't think of it as coded language. And especially, again, thinking about this course as a way to help people identify individuals in their life who might need support. These examples are really helpful to make that much more real, much more salient than this abstract idea of someone may be suicidal. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think of uh, there, there's a, a case that I like to use to kind of exemplify this. So this is an actual person that I worked with who came to me as a patient who um, was highly agitated when he was sitting in my office. You know, his leg was bouncing. He could hardly sit still. You know, he, he looked like he was just on the verge of crying. 
His, his voice was very clearly tense. He wasn't making eye contact. And these were the statements he was saying, I can't take this anymore. Uh, you know, I'm just, I'm worthless. I'm no good. I'm just a, a total waste of space. You know, my mom would be better off without me. All, all of the coded language, he wasn't sleeping, he was drinking, all of these things were going on. But when I asked him face-to-face, -face, as well as through my paperwork, he was saying, no, I'm not going to kill myself, I'm fine. Um, well, he had all of these coded language, all of these indicators that very clearly things were not going okay in his life. And... It would have been very easy because he was explicitly saying, I'm not suicidal, I'm not going to kill myself, to sort of go, oh, whew, thank goodness, and kind of move on uh, with other things. But instead, we paid attention to these warning signs and said, let's do some things to improve your quality of life, to help manage suicide risk, even if right now you are not saying that you're suicidal. And so we did a lot of suicide prevention activities together. We just didn't call it suicide prevention. For him, it was anger management. And so we came up with an anger plan and an anger intervention and an anger response plan, all this stuff. And he responded very well to it and did quite well. And that's, that's what we want people to understand is you don't have to wait for that magic word suicide. If someone's in need and they're clearly not doing well, there are simple things that can be done to save their life. Yeah, and that reminds me of uh, a common phrase that, you know, silence kills or just people talking about how there's this stigma and silence around feeling suicidal. So, um, so part of recognizing these coded languages is overcoming that silence and being okay to then further talk with a person you're, you're concerned about. Is that right? Yeah, I, w I would say that's exactly right. Okay, well, before we turn back to you, Carrie, Craig, could you just sum up the course for us and your overall thoughts? I, I forgot to ask earlier, how long does this course actually take someone to work through they're thinking about taking this now that they've heard you tell a little bit about it? Yeah, so, uh, you know, kind of, I guess, the overall, you know, summary of the course really is we, we spend a little bit of time explaining some basic ideas that answer the question, well, why do people kill themselves? Why do people um, want to die by suicide? Um, we spend a little bit of time talking about some of these risk factors and warning signs, and uh, there's this explicit focus on coded language, on insomnia, agitation, and other sort of overt, obvious signs that someone might be at increased risk for suicide. And then we provide very simple tips. And one of, uh, we kind of conclude with talking about um, a, a procedure that we've tested within clinical uh, settings called crisis response planning. Um, but we have, we are now translating this technique for use by non-healthcare professionals. So when you are worried about someone, what do you say? What do you do in helping that person at risk identify strategies that they can use to reduce their stress, to remember why their life is purposeful and meaningful, and how they can reach out for help? And so overall, the course is, uh, I think it's somewhere between 20 and 30 minutes. So it's pretty brief. It's right to the point, um, and it, it's really well done. Like I said, I've I worked with a lot of groups before coming up with curriculum, and I, I, I can generate content all day. 
Um, but it, it was truly amazing to see how uh, the animations, um, the images that were used to help convey the ideas uh, that I think are just absolutely phenomenal. It's, it's, it was really great working on the project. back to you and sort of scope back out and talk a little bit more about some of the other services PsychArmor offers and also um, a little bit into what you're thinking about in terms of the future for PsychArmor and what other suicide prevention courses do you all have available for your training? Thank you, Adam. I would love to talk a little bit more about PsychArmor and what we do. I can let you know that we have a course in our healthcare provider school specifically for mental health providers and actually other other providers, so physicians and and um, other folks in the in the medical fields about suicide in the military that Dr. Bryan also collaborated with us on. We are working with the Department of Veterans Affairs Suicide Prevention Office on another course for our audience um, about suicide prevention, recognizing signs and other ways to intervene as well that isn't exactly the same course at all as Dr. Bryan's Helping Others Hold On. It has a slightly different take and a different a sort of complementary set of tools, I think. They're both going to be wonderful, wonderful learning opportunities. We are really interested in PsychArmor about disseminating our courses about um, military culture. Um, and so we have a number of schools that we already have available. We have a school for healthcare providers, school for employers, military caregivers, um, volunteers, and educators. While our Helping other, Others Hold On course is in the volunteer school, it's certainly applicable to, I think, anybody in any of those schools. And it can be found on our website in the volunteer school, but anybody is able to take it. We also have a course for employers that, that might be very interesting under this topic for folks about um, helping a veteran in crisis, and it specifically talks about if you're an employer or a co-worker, some specific things you can do to help somebody who's in crisis. We are constantly developing new courses at PsychArmor. We work very closely with our sponsors, with our partners, with the, the Department of Veterans Affairs to continue to develop and disseminate courses to help civilian Americans really get more familiar with military culture and learn a lot more about how they can connect with veterans. So again, we have 130 courses online now about various topics, and we continue to add courses almost daily. Yeah, that's incredible, uh, just the wealth of information there. And I always like to say we'd love to have you back because it sounds like there's just so much more to cover. We, you know, we dived into helping others hold on today, but there's certainly much more we could talk about. Um, just a quick follow-up about navigating the website. So it sounds like there's different schools that the courses are listed within, but anybody can still take any course from the website. Is that correct? That's correct. Anybody can take any of the courses that they find to be interesting or appealing to them from the website. I actually always like to recommend that people take what I think is 
is our kind of premier course. It's called 15 Things Veterans Want You to Know. And so we always say it's 15 things in 15 minutes. The course is 15 minutes long, and it really is the beginnings of familiarity with military veterans and with military culture. You don't have to be an expert in any particular field to understand a few very simple things that may help you engage with a military veteran or service member in a more effective way. So I'd love to point people towards the 15 Things Veterans Want You to Know course. It's 15 things in 15 minutes, and I think it's one of the most useful courses that we have. Great, and it's, again, great to hear how you can really fit these courses in between things. It's it's not a huge time commitment. It's not a huge chunk to, to get one course out of the way. Sounds like there's some great things on the horizon. So, again, we'd love to have you all back to talk about specifically some of the other suicide prevention courses in the curriculum. We would um, but love before we to wrap come back, up, Adam. Great. Thank you. Um, but before we wrap up, I'd just like to give you both an opportunity to add any closing remarks. Uh, Carrie, can we start with you? Sure. Um, well, first of all, thank you, Adam, so much for having us on and um, for taking your time today to let us talk a little bit about some of what we do at Psych Armor and what we've done with Dr. Brian on the Helping Others Hold On course. Again, I really would just encourage people to check out some of the stuff we have at Psych Armor. The learning is all free, and our goal is really to be a resource for people who want to know more about military culture and want to engage more effectively with veterans and military service members. It, like you said, the courses are easy to take. The courses are typically about 10 minutes long. They're really engaging. Our goal is to make them incredibly useful. So. 10, 15 minutes of your day can go towards learning something new and really useful and impactful. And it can be the, the entryway into beginning to support military members um, and veterans in a more effective way. And I would say maybe just a final thought, what I really like about uh, helping others hold on and a lot of the other work that we've done um, at the National Center for Veteran Studies and working with Psych Armor is really kind of, I think, helping people to understand that simple things save lives. And I really think that's at the heart of uh, this particular suicide prevention course. And my hope is that listeners um, will share this with others um, so that, you know, 20 to 30 minutes of your time can help you to learn a handful of very, very simple techniques that could potentially save someone's life. That is great. So, listeners, that will be all for today. You can, as we mentioned, learn more about the huge library of resources at the Psych Armor Institute, and we will provide some links, including to the Helping Others Hold On course directly. Please don't hesitate to reach out to us if you have comments, questions about any of the uh, topics we've discussed today. Uh, please give us a review, subscribe, share with your colleagues. And until next time, join us for more interviews on important work in suicide prevention, well-being, and resilience. Hi, everyone. I'm your host, Adam Hofberg, and I want to let you know about a program available through the Rocky Mountain Myrick that we are really excited to tell you about. Why Worry Alone? The Suicide Risk Management Consultation Program provides free one-on-one -on -one consultation for any provider, both in the community and throughout the VA, 
who serves veterans at risk for suicide. For more information on this program and related resources, you can visit the Rocky Mountain Myrick website at www.myrick.va.gov slash VISN19 slash consult. To initiate a consult or email us with any questions, you can reach us at srmconsult at va.gov. Hashtag never worry alone. <laughs>